0: Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues that we are going through each and every single day. I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson, and I have two members of my tribe here with me today. We're going to be talking about a pretty serious issue uh, that we're facing here in America as African Americans. And so, first, Tony, tell everyone
1: hello. Hi, everyone. Hi, Karen. Hi, Maureen. Hey,
2: Tony. Hey, Karen.
0: Hello. Thank you so much. I appreciate both of you for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. And so just to let everyone know what we're talking about today. So as everyone is aware, uh, there has been just an absolute onslaught Um, Just an attack on African-Americans, as I see it here in the United States. Everything from, obviously, the killing of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, just the two latest victims, as well as, you know, people who are asking folks. I I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he asked the lady to put her dog on a leash in in the uh, the park. And so, of course, she called the police uh, to use them, as they say, as a weapon. Oh, I feel threatened. He's threatening my life. Uh, And so just wanted to talk about what it's like raising black men in this environment. I have a son 20 years old, and obviously the fear that grips me every day when he leaves the house is unreal um, and something that I shouldn't have to deal with in what they call the land of the free. And I wanted to know if other uh, women of color raising boys were feeling the same angst that I was feeling. And so that's what we'll be talking about today. And first, I wanted to just give you guys an opportunity to talk about how you're feeling in general about what we're seeing in the United States and the attack on African-Americans. And so, Maureen, I'll let you start.
2: Sure, Karen. So, as always, thanks so much for bringing this topic to the forefront, right? It's not like if you didn't bring it to the forefront, people wouldn't be aware. Um, But I always applaud your efforts around making sure that as a community, We're really talking about these deep-seated things that really, truly do matter to us and need to matter to other people. So, oh, and the other thing I want to say is, you know, like you, I have a 20-year-old son as well. But we should also keep in mind that even though as of late, um, the majority of these incidences seem to happen to the young men in our lives, they're also happening to women so when we're thinking about you know our sons our nephews our uncles our fathers we're also thinking about our sisters our nieces and our aunts right all of those people included so you know here's the thing about the whole ahmad situation so you know i think i was really uh, I, i was really annoyed by it and that's putting it mildly when i first heard about it um especially because it happened so long ago but here we are hearing about it in may like you know clearly Somebody wasn't trying to make this, make sure that this came to our attention, but then when it did, what really hit home for me was the impact that it was having, even on um, people who don't necessarily um, who don't necessarily feel the impact of these things or express them. That's probably a better word. And so the case that I'm thinking about is my own son. So like I said, he's 20. He is um, a rising senior at the University of Florida. And so the morning after the news broke about Ahmad, um, I woke up, looked at my phone, and saw that he posted something on Instagram, and he said this was the hardest thing he's ever had to do in his life. And I'm like, what is he talking about? This guy usually regards anything on social media as a place to post a picture every now and then or like something every now and then. But his post completely blew me away and provided... This overwhelming sense of fear. Not that I didn't have it before, but I certainly had it in that moment. Because like Ahmad, my son is a runner. And you know, he'll leave the house, he'll go running. He always thinks that he has to go right before it gets dark outside. And I'll always say, you know, can you please just go earlier? And my saying that to him is usually related to the fact that, you know, people, not everybody drives well, and you know, somebody could accidentally hit him never occurred to me that there would be something else other than somebody actually hitting him, in my eyes, by accident, um, until he wrote this. And so I just wanna read a, a small piece of what he said. He said, for as long as I can remember on every run I've gone on, the possibility of being in this exact situation has always sat in the back of my mind. I'm always constantly aware of my surroundings, checking behind me for cars that drive too close for comfort, maintaining my distance from homeowners to reduce even the smallest possibility of being seen as a threat, even changing my route and schedule to avoid becoming a predictable target. And when I read that, I cried. I thought, oh my gosh. So here I'm worried about him just, you know, being hit by somebody who can't drive and he's got all of this other stuff going on in his head that is probably interrupting his run. And he is fearful about this, just thinking, Am I going to get back home? So, when we think about our sons and the men in our family, the situation with Ahmad and just that situation, not let's, we'll talk later about the other ones, really made me think about all of the men that are my friends, my family, and how this. How this country does not regard, have any regard for human life as it relates to black and brown men and women. And it's, it's painful. It is extremely painful. I'll stop talking because I know I said a lot. But like I told you, you know I was going to have a lot to say. Like we all do.
0: Of course, no, not at all. I'm sure that has to be... Uh, you. Of course, you don't think about that sort of thing. He's just going for a run. You're thinking about, you know, the most he has to worry about is maybe if he's hit accidentally and he's got all these other things going through his mind, just trying to exercise. Uh, so, no, definitely I can understand um, why you have a lot to say about this topic, why we all do. Uh, Tony? how are you feeling just in general about what's been going on in America as it relates to uh, people of color? Well,
1: my... Uh, I also have a 20-year-old son. He's 19, but he'll be 20 in a, a few days. Um, and my my fear for him has always been um, him being involved in something like the things that are going on now uh, because I tried so hard to show him the best life I could till sometimes I feel bad in that um, I'm frightened because... I don't know that he has the kind of awareness that Maureen just spoke about with her son. He's not always been one to share things and doesn't really say things. I ask him questions and he's, oh, I got this mom. And "Oh, well, I, I, I got it, mom. Oh no, always mom. But I don't really know if he really understands um, just the, the danger he can be in just walking out. And so that frightens me daily. Um, You know, my husband and I go back and forth about quote unquote babying him, but a lot of it is just my own fear in, you know, does he really understand? Is he as careful as he needs to be when he does things? Um, Is he as careful when he goes out? Um, Your son and my son are cousins, Karen. They used to go out around the Trayvon Martin time. They were wearing hoodies and it could be 90 degrees and they got a hoodie on and the hood on their head and walking around into them. That was normal, um, and I guess for me the other thing that really, really frightens me is that the narrative or the talk, so to speak, keeps having to change. I'm sure you all can, you know, relate to the fact that yes, we've always had our that talk with our our young sons about when uh, people in authority address them or when the police address them. This is what you do when the police come to you. This is what you do. But we're, you know. I'd never dreamed that I'd have to have a narrative about, okay, if you're asleep in your own bed at home and somebody comes in, this is what you need to do. If you're out taking a jog in the middle of the day and and people approach you, this is what you need to do. The narrative just keeps changing. And every time I think, okay, I think I've told him what he needs to know. I hope he's absorbed it. Then the, the world takes this thing to a whole new level. You know, I, I, I was looking at a post that my cousin did um, and it was a picture of a number of of those who have been killed by police or others um, and and all black and brown women and men and the names of them and the list of the things that they were doing at the time that they were killed is is remarkable. Trayvon Martin walking home with iced tea and skittles. Uh, Keith Scott sitting in a car reading tatiana Jefferson looking out her window I mean Jordan Edwards riding in a car Stefan Clark holding a cell phone I mean this list Tamir rice playing with a toy gun Sean Bell leaving his bachelor party I, it's like when will it end can I you know when will it end I, I I'm just I'm just completely at a loss I, I don't and I am afraid every day every day I am afraid for my son and now he's up Uh, at school, back at school, his job opened up, even though school is online and he's back up at school by himself. And, you know, I check daily and I get nervous when I text him and he doesn't call back or, and that's always been the case. He's not good at answering and good. He'll get your message and won't tell you. But now the fear that I have until I hear from him is it, it is just growing exponentially.
0: I can definitely relate to what you're both talking about. So mine, I don't know if he remembers that I have him on low jack, but I do. Um, And and not because I just want to, you know, spy on where he is, but it just makes me feel better when I can check and make sure that he's made it to his destination safely. You know, he also, um, all of our kids are about the same age, so he's 20 as well. He uh, went to technical school and so how, now he's working in his field as a welder. And so every day, when he leaves home, I'm a nervous wreck about, you know, is he going to make it there in one piece? Is is, is somebody going to, you know, police going to stop him? And you don't want them to be afraid of those who are sworn to protect and serve, but you can't be unrealistic either. And so just that balance and the and the fear that grips me when he or my husband leave home and they're not back by the time I thought they would be there. And I call or text and they don't answer. And, you know, I just didn't think in 2020, I would be living with that type of fear gripping me on a regular basis. Um, and so I can definitely relate to what both of you are talking about. It's why I wanted to have this conversation. Uh, and so let's talk about when we heard about yet the latest incident, George Floyd, um, which is the latest incident as the, as it relates to the time of this recording, because God knows things could change between now and the time we finish recording this, right? So at the time of this recording, that was the latest, um, that we'd heard about what went through your minds. Um, Antonio, I'll let you start when you heard of that story, when you saw some of the, I haven't even been able to watch all of the video, just the parts I've seen make me sick to my stomach. So what went through your mind at that time?
1: Um, the first thing, of course, like with most people was not again. Um, that was the first thing. The second thing that went through my mind was, the look on the officer's faces that were there, it it was a total, this is normal, I have no fear. I'm, you know, this is normal, I can do this. I'm not gonna get reprimanded for this. It was almost as if his life meant nothing. And and that's what I got looking at that incident. Uh, You know, my husband and I are debating back and forth whether the cop whose knee was on his neck, his hand was in his pocket. But regardless, he just had such a relaxed look, like this was absolutely normal. This is a normal state of being. Um, and, and it's and it and it's the it's seeing that people are doing these kinds of things with no expectation of being held accountable. It's like I don't know if the two of you saw the uh, CNN reporter in the middle of reporting on air was arrested. Clearly. Asking the police, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to be? And it was perfectly fine that we're on air and we're going to arrest him for nothing.
2: Literally <laughs> it, doing his job. Sorry. Correct. Yes, literally, I saw it.
1: Right. Yeah. Literally doing his job. Yeah. And it the the normalcy that it it, it seems to be coming is, is what struck me with that. Just the the cop that was standing there to the side. In the initial things, you don't see the other two who are kind of holding him down behind the one on his neck, but the other one standing there was just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you know, "This is normal." Where you know just, it was as if he was nothing, a piece of trash. Mm-hmm. That
2: just really struck me.
0: And Maureen, how about you? What was it? What did you feel in that moment when you first heard about this?
2: All the same things. <laughs> All the same things, Tony, that you said. I mean, I literally looked at this guy and thought, wow, he just thinks he's hanging out. He's just like on the beach. He's he's just he's just chilling. Like this is something he does every single day. Oh well. Wow. Okay. Then, all, all he needed was an umbrella and some sand in a beach. Yes. And a drink with an oh, umbrella. That's all oh, he I'm needed. Telling you. Yes. And then the guy who was standing there, you know, trying to hold the people back reminded me of when you go to a concert and you've got like front row seats and you've got like those bouncers that, you know, up at the front to kind of stop you from jumping on stage. And I thought, dude, that's not what you're getting paid for. Seriously? It was, it was beyond painful. And the fact that when I saw it, I, you know, I saw, I saw the whole video from the very beginning and I thought, okay, he's going to get off of it in a minute. And then he didn't. And then the next minute rolled around, and the next, and the next. And then this man started saying, I can't breathe. And then he called for his mama. I was done. I, I said, This cannot possibly be happening on my screen. This cannot possibly be happening. And there are people calling for him to stop. You're, you're, you can't breathe. You're, you're hurting him. And the guy just felt like, yeah, it's another day chilling. So it, and and how do you not, I'm sorry, Maureen, but
1: how do you, when he stopped, when stopped speaking, when he stopped saying something, when he stopped talking and moving, how do you not stop then
2: and say, oops, maybe I went too far? Yes. Because that was your, that was your opportunity, dude. And it didn't occur to you or did it that you just might literally be pressing the life out of this man. I just, it was just, it was, it was painful. It was painful. And once again, I get a text from my son who's completely enraged about this. And I thought, wow, so this is deep because this is, this is the child that just kind of, you know, doesn't really say much and doesn't get incensed about much of anything, but it it speaks to his recognizance of the fact that he's a young black man in America. And shouldn't be treated that way. And I completely, I, I don't know if it's just a boy
0: thing because mine is the same. They don't always let you know what they're feeling. And so I know for you, Maureen, for him to, you know, text you and say, Are you watching this? Are you seeing this? You know, it, it means you really know that this has impacted him because, um, like I said, I don't know if it's just a guy thing or what, but they really, you know, mine is the same way. And I have to really kind of try to you know, pull things out of him and make sure that I'm talking to him Mm -hmm. about what's going on because he doesn't always say anything um, about what he's feeling. And when he, when he reached out to you, uh, Maureen, did he, was it just, oh my God, are you seeing this? Did he talk a
2: a lot about it or how it made him feel? What did he say to you? He talked a lot. Um, And so back and forth throughout the day, we'd be talking or texting. And what I, what I noticed the most, is that every time he would text me, he would drop all kinds of profanities in there, which is not typically his style. So now my concern is really paying attention, really, really paying attention to how this is impacting him. He, um, Tony, like your son, he's also at school, he's taking summer classes. So the school's obviously not, you know, there's no in-person classes, but he's got an off campus apartment up there. So he's, you know, he's back up in Gainesville and, it makes me worry about how he's feeling about this. I know he still goes running, you know, every day he goes out. He likes to run outside, even though he's got access to the gym. Um, And so it all, all of it makes me, you know, his, his language around it. um, The fact that he's so on top of it and is texting me with updates, which is not the norm. All of that concerns me from the standpoint of how's this going to impact his being, his mindset. And so I have, I have to almost feel like I have something new now <laughs> to worry about. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mine is very quiet and 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 doesn't say much. You know, like Karen's son, and he, I have to pull things out of him when something is wrong. And, um, you know, I, I, it always takes my mind back to when my mother in law passed away, and um, he was relatively young, but. You know, my daughter had a friend of hers over and we had friends over and we really didn't have friends with boy his age. And and someone said, oh, where's where's Avery? And I said, I don't know. He had gone to his room and was in his bunk bed all alone, just crying. And that I'm about to cry talking about it because he holds things in. So and then he sometimes explodes. Sometimes that is, I'm angry and he he will finally get angry. Sometimes he just goes further in. I, I am just so afraid and, and don't know, I, I, I it's just so afraid not knowing where he is. And so I'm so glad for you, Maureen, that yours has found the strength to, to reach out to you and, and talk to you about these things that are most recently going on because, you know, at least you, you kind of know he's there and it's present. I, I I don't know. And that in and of itself scares me quite a bit.
2: Mm, I get that. Wow.
1: And do either
0: yeah. of you ever worry that, um, you know, with the, the way it's happening so quickly, this may not be the case anymore, but I do, I still worry about it with mine. Do you ever worry that they feel like this could not necessarily happen to them. Do you ever think that maybe they they, they they don't get All that? All day, you know? every
1: day. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and, and, why, and I guess, why do you think that is? I think for me, like you don't hear about it, not that it doesn't happen sometimes in Florida, but a lot of this stuff is happening other places. And so you're upset, but it's not like it's happening to somebody you know or whatever. Do you think that that's the reason why? Or what do you think, Tony, you can start, is the reason why maybe they don't, they're upset but maybe they haven't made the correlation that, you know, this could happen to you.
1: Um, I, I think the, the unfortunate thing is, is as one, you, and you're right. A lot of this is not happening, happening right here in Florida. Um, a lot of them don't know personally or, or even, you know, s- twice removed, don't really know someone that it has happened to. And so it's hard, especially for young people to relate. Um, but I also think it's it's I personally take some fault, and and fault may not be the appropriate word, but the life that I try to have for him, um, you know, you there's a balance. We have to tell our sons and daughters, for that matter, you matter. You're worth it. You're you're you are just as good as anyone else, and and I, I'm I'm afraid that maybe my trying to teach him to be strong and to be himself and to to go out there and tackle the world and get what he needs done you know may have given him some sense of wow that's not going to happen to me (laughs) because I am I am I am me and I am destined for greatness and I'm thinking some of that may be it and I do also think that being somewhat removed from it um, in that they don't know anyone personally things aren't happening here in Florida. You know, we may march or or protest here, but it doesn't mean the same if if you're not right there where it's going on. I think that may be some of it. I I, I really you know I really don't know.
0: And Maureen, how about you? And I'm and I'm sure we should say it's not happening that we know of because you know you could it could be like a you know a mod
2: where it, it just it didn't sure come it out until the nobody knows yeah. It. <laughs> yeah nobody knows it yet. Yeah, but Maureen, how about you? I think that you know. Tony, I will definitely agree with you. I think that we've created or we've tried to create, you know, lives for our children, all of us, um, tried to create lives for our children that would somewhat um, remove them away from this. So they're, um, awareness of this may not be front and center for them all the time. And I, and like you, I, my husband and I talk about this all the time, how we kind of blame ourselves. We used to blame ourselves when we first moved to Florida, because when we moved here, they were both very young. I think like our daughter was five or get, she was just about to turn five. And our son was like five months old. And so we love to say how, you know, man, y'all are so clueless because we left New York too early because we feel like they just didn't get that grit, right, of growing up in in the city. But that's not it. That's not it. Because you don't really need to be anywhere in America in particular. To really have that. I, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's some things that you can learn simply from living in a city like New York, and you can take that and walk away and be able to walk down the street with that swagger, and nobody's going to mess with you. And then there are other things that you just don't inherently know because it's not been your experience. And so, none of these things have been the experience um, for any of my children. And I think up until uh, Trayvon Martin. I don't think either one of them thought what, what, this is a thing. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just wasn't something that happened because it just wasn't their experience. And, but since that time, you know, it came in rapid fire as far as I'm concerned, you know, law enforcement is like, Oh wait, we, we could, we could do this and possibly get acquitted open season. And so I think that the, the, Kids, my my kids at uh, anyway have started more to pay more and more attention to this, and I think it's kind of not normalized it for them, but it's really incensed them at a different level than they were prior to certainly prior to Trayvon Martin.
0: You know, it's funny you say that. I would have to agree with that. I think that uh, when it happened with Trayvon Martin, I don't know why that one for some reason just really I guess because I could see. My son in that, he wears the hoodie. My my baby, I don't know if he gets cold easily, but it can be 85 degrees. He will have on a sweatshirt with a hoodie, with the hoodie up. Like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: in the house, everywhere. It's like, I, it's like,
0: it. I don't understand. <laughs> so, uh, I'm like, I don't get it. You know, and so I was like, gosh, that could be him, you know, walking down the street, going somewhere with his hoodie on, not bothering anybody. I don't know why the hoodie. And so I guess I really could see him, he was in high school at the time in, in Trayvon Martin. And so, you know, um, not that we hadn't had discussions about race before, but we really had a long talk about that. And sometimes I worry, it's kind of like my, my, my nephew. Yeah, I got it. I know, ma, I know. And so you worry that they're not taking it as seriously um, as maybe they should. But I think at that point for me as well, it was like, whoa, not that I didn't realize it was happening, but Um, for some reason, I guess just because I could see my son and Trayvon walking around with that hoodie that I really, um, started to really uh, address it with him. Um, and I do agree also that, you know, it's important that we all work to instill in our children. And I'm sure that your parents instilled it in you, Maureen. I know my mom and dad instilled it in Tony and I, that we are just as good as anybody else. You Mm -hmm. look people in the eye, you say what you need to say, Um, and and you You know, you don't cower. And for a lot of people uh, in white America, they have a hard time with that, with um, people who are articulate of color, who can say what needs to be said. And I'm not cussing at you. I'm not talking to you any kind of way, but I'm saying what I I need to say. And and that's just that. And so I think that, um, you know, it, it comes across to them as you're being cocky when I'm just being as confident and as independent as your parents taught you to be. Uh, And so I do worry about that as well uh, with our children. And um, I was curious, so we're having this conversation, and I'm also going to be talking to um, women who have girls. And so you all um, have girls as well as do I. Do we think at this point, sometimes I used to think maybe the conversation was a little different. It seemed to be like open season on black males. But, you know, there are a lot of of black females who are also being um, harassed killed, et cetera. Do you think the narrative or the conversation is any different or are we telling our girls the same thing that we're telling our boys? Maureen, I'll let you start.
2: That's a really good question. And I don't I can't say that I think the situation is any different. Um I think that we need to be, if we're not already doing it, we need to be telling our girls the same thing because I don't think that um anyone who is inflicting this kind of pain and suffering on us cares whether it's a black woman or a black man or a brown woman or a brown man. I, I And that's my personal opinion. I just, I just don't think they care. I have for a long time said that it always seems to me like the black man is at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to these things, when it comes to just about, not everything, but a lot of things. And so, you know, I always would say to my son, you know he had like special rules and special things that I would say to him that I wouldn't necessarily say to um my daughter now my husband and I talk to both of them. the message is it's the same I, It does not matter to me one way or the other. I think the message has to be the same when you see stories such as um uh Brianna, I think her last name is Taylor, Brianna Taylor. Um, the, the yes, it's Taylor. EM, thank you. The, uh, EMT, um, when you see stories of Sandra Bland, um, you know, when you think about these women, um, I, I, I don't think anybody really differentiated, you know, male versus female. I just think they said black. I really do. And so I think the message has to be, if the message was ever, you know, different for, um Our daughters versus our sons, and I know it was somewhat for me. it's not that way anymore it it ju- it just cannot be you know when I think about Philando Castile and um you know his untimely death, you know there was a four year old sitting in the back seat and his girlfriend sitting in the car and I don't think they really cared which of them they killed i don't I don't think it would have mattered um And we saw the outcome of that. So I think the message now, today, absolutely must be the same.
0: And how about
2: you?
1: Uh, My my experience with with my two was a a, a little bit different uh, in that I have, more so than my son, have had to have the discussion with her about interacting with others, especially those of of, uh, Caucasian, Descent, because she has always been very smart, strong, outspoken. It just came naturally. Two years old, so I have always had to talk with her about uh, what people think of her and expect, and and I've always had to have kind of the same conversation with her as I did with him. Him simply because he was a black male. Her because of her personality and, and in addition to being a black female. Um, so I have always, in, in my case, and, and I saw that early on with her, I would get calls from school and they tell me, you know, she's being disrespectful, she's being this or that. And when I go to ask questions, it's their interpretation. And I got from them basically that this little black child is talking out of turn because she's questioning me, the white teacher, and she needs to be in her place. And she never was that. And so I've always <laughs> had to have this kind of discussion with her. Um, and she's a little more aware probably than my son is um, and takes things in and, and and assesses things probably a little more than my son does. And that's a personality thing between the two of them. So my my talk has always been with her, about that for that reason, but it was mainly her personality. But I do agree, Maureen, that we that we initially focused so much on how males are treated and looked at um, until sometimes we forget that these people out here don't care if you're male, female, um, don't care if you're young, old. Um, but for me, my daughter's own personality made me have to have those kinds of discussions with her early on. That and I think I would,
0: yeah. yeah. And I would, I would agree early on. I felt like um, it, there was a bit of a, of, of a difference. I mean, it just seems like, and not that that still isn't the case. The majority of these things are happening to our black men and our black boys, but it just seemed like there is such a desire to just eradicate black males. Like I just, I don't, I, and I don't know why, you know, I've read some things where it's almost like there's this intimidation that a uh, white America collectively, we know that all not not all white people have that feeling. Um, but there seems to be some sort of intimidation there. You know, I even know with my husband, one of the schools where he used to work. Um, They do address checks because a lot of schools that are prestigious people want to go there and so they put their, you know, cousin wants removed address or their best friend or whatever and the child isn't really zoned for that school. And he could go with the shirt on that had the name of the school and and very calmly say what he's there for and it was always he was very intimidating and i was very i, I was very I, I felt threatened and very intimidated and all he would say was hi my name is i'm here representing you know with the shirt on and we're just doing an address check there was a concern that the student um you know was not enrolled in the correct school and i'm just here checking and he it got to where he needed to go with like the school resource officer and even then they would question it as though, you know, he was their guns blazing. And so, do you feel like there is this almost like systemic need or something to try and eradicate the blackmail? And what do you think that stems from? Marina, I'll let you start.
2: I, so one, yes, I do feel that way. And I have felt that way for as long as I can. Um, remember um i i I don't know what it stems from i you know when i think about things such as like uh, old movies like gone with the wind which i've never seen but i've heard a lot about you know and they talk about you know um uh, a black male you know back in the day and how intimidating they were and how you know we we didn't want black men to be you know, um, demeaning our white women and all of these things, I think that there is um, an intimidation factor. Um, I know The Birth of a Nation is the movie that really um, kind of speaks even more to that, right? And almost uses the black man as a weapon um, um, to white women and to the white race in general, right? And so I do think that there has long been this narrative around eradicating the black man. But I I'm not sure I understand where it comes from or why. And I think that if you know we um were able to do like and actually I'm sure there's many studies that go back as far as um slavery, we can certainly see a lot of themes around this, you know, and a lot of, you know, honest and candid thoughts around how we've gotten to where we are today, which is we need to remove them from the planet, you know, which is what it, it now, it kind of feels like, you know. Um, but I'm not, I, I honestly can't say that I am the person to really be able to say why, but those are, that's kind of like my thinking around it, that I think it's long been the narrative in, in people's minds that this must be done.
0: And Tony, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, these are not entirely my thoughts, but one theory that was given to me once. In another life, I worked in human resources in corporate America, and I was uh, in affirmative action and diversity, and I was putting together diversity training for um, a group of individuals um, at the company that I worked for. And I was interviewing diversity consultants. This particular group of consultants, he believed, and you know, some of what he's saying may be true. He believed that part of it and part of the crux of it all was around sex, that it's partially their fault, meaning white people, because they define anyone who has any portion or any portion rather of black in them as black. By doing that, you are lessening your race as we get together and have children, mixed race children. So his philosophy, this diversity consultant that I worked with was that was their ultimate fear that black men would then get with their women, create all these other black children who are part black, part white, but considered black. And then you have the fully black people in the world and that they're going to overtake everything and we're going to be the minority. So we must ex- ex- exhibit and, and, and use our power to get rid of them so that that doesn't happen. That was their philosophy. That was his thought as to why um, they, they felt that white men, white people felt the way they did about black men, especially because there is and, and probably always will be more of a threat seen in black men than there are in women. Um, the women are becoming uh, we're, we're gaining our strength and we're, we're elevating ourselves in corporations. We're out doing our own thing. We're even playing sports that t- traditionally have been men's sports and we're out there doing that. I still think the ultimate um, the the ultimate thing that they are afraid of are black men, and as you, Maureen, I'm that's not my philosophy. Um, there's some logic in that, but it is not my philosophy. I really don't know <laughs> why they feel intimidated and feel the way they do, and and thus act out. Um, but that is a philosophy that was given to me years ago, and I do know as a part of that. Um, I cannot remember her name but her first name was Jane and as a part of it we had her come in and she did a whole um I actually was a part of something where um that she called it the blue-eyed brown-eyed experiment but basically you swapped places for a day those of us who were brown-eyed and typically darker skinned switched places and we got all the benefits and we got all the privileges in class that day it was a training um and those who were Blue-eyed, typically white and blonde-haired, they were the lesser citizens for the day. They got to drink from the hot water fountain where we got ice-cold water, and they didn't like it, and very people who were, you know, sat in the cubicle next to me and were, you know, we would go to lunch together, got downright angry at me because I had this privilege that they now couldn't have. And, and being in, in the, the reverse situation was just, it, it was just maddening to them so much. So several people walked out of the training, didn't wouldn't come back. There were almost fights. This woman in other trainings, not mine, but other trainings has has chairs thrown at her because she does that experiment. Um, uh, she has done that experiment quite a bit. And the reaction is always the same from those who are typically in the majority group. They, they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like being in the minority, and they don't like getting all of the privileges and things that they normally get. Um, and so it it was very very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that was uh, a woman Jane Elliott, I think was her name, who started that yes, experiment. Yes, that's her name. white
1: um, lady. She started that experiment years ago. Yeah, years and
0: years ago. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so um I'm just wondering if we could talk a little bit about going forward. Well, first before that, one of the other things I definitely wanted to mention. Um obviously there's been a lot of looting and rioting um as a result of what has happened with George Floyd. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, you know, we'll put this out here first so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Nobody is agreeing with the looting and the looting and the and you know burning of buildings. Nobody is 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 agreeing with that. But what are your thoughts about the uh, fact that uh, people want to call so much attention to that and not really talk about where it stems from, if you understand what I'm saying? Do you feel, and and I'll just give my opinion while I'm I'm asking this question, sometimes I feel like there seems to be this uh, desire to put so much emphasis on, look at what they're doing and this is horrible but you're not saying, look at what the police officer did. This is horrible. But we want to like harp on the rioting and the looting. What are your thoughts about that? Maureen, I'll let you start.
2: Yeah. So um, agree. Do not support the fighting, the burning of buildings, none of that. However, I do think that part of the reason why um, they are so interested in really focusing everything on that component and not the bigger issue at hand, which is that a man just had the life pressed out of him by someone's knee. Um, I think the reason they want to focus so much on that because it's easier because it's comfortable because they're in denial because they don't want to talk about the fact that the bigger issue here is what's just happened. You know, and I just think it's just way easier for people to be, to sit in their comfort zones and to feel like, you know, oh, I'm in, I'm in the best position ever and really say nothing or do nothing else, you know, other than that, you know, uh, just, just a case in point, you know, first day we heard about, um, um, Mr. Scott, you know, I, I posted something on Facebook and I basically said, I'm sick of this, I'm over it, when is it gonna end? Right? And and prayers and healings for the family. I said a bunch of other things, but that was generally it. And so there were people who responded to that, and one of them who's a good friend of mine, said, Completely agree. I also want the writing to stop, it's not solving anything. And so I the I looked at that and I thought to myself, okay, so it's way more important for her to focus on the writing not the fact that this just this just happened, you know, completely agreed was not enough for me. Now, maybe, maybe that's just me taking all of this personally as a black woman. So, you know, he is a part of me. He's a part of my family. He's a part of who I am as a human being. But I looked at that and thought, so that's the only thing that you want to focus on here. Like, like that's what you see as a bigger problem. So I do think... There's just a level of comfort and they just don't want to go there. They're just afraid to go there. And I think they're also afraid to know, to have any of their friends know that they're going there and keep in mind, this is, so I think a lot of this is generational too, right? So I think when we're t- thinking about like the younger generation, I think they have somewhat of a different lens on this. Um, this is somebody who is part of you know our generation. And again, has a totally different lens on this and completely different thinking. And I, what I noticed about me in that situation is that I wasn't even able to respond to her. I couldn't like her comment. I couldn't reply, whereas I did to everybody else. I just could not do it. And like I said, this is a friend of mine. So my my overall assessment on this is that um, there needs to be a lack of Um, There needs to be more of a focus around the issue at hand and not about those things that keep us in this comfortable place and this place of not necessarily recognizing what the privilege that they have is doing to Black America.
0: Tony, how about
2: you?
1: Um, Again, just as the two of you don't agree with the rioting and the looting. Um, And I I pretty much agree with, with what Maureen has said. I think it is a comfort level. Um, and I think they just don't want to have the hard discussions. I don't think they want to really look at themselves even in, in terms of, of how they really feel. Um, and, and just as you, I have, um, you know, with my son playing baseball, I have uh, a lot of friends that I have made from uh, those relationships and playing baseball, and it was it, it's a sport that you don't necessarily see a lot of blacks in, especially the level my son was playing. And um I find it difficult like you, Maureen, when things like this happen, or when they make certain comments on their posts or um you know, they repost a a, a mega hat and and something that um he has said. I find it difficult to respond <laughs> and I just kind of ignore, you know, I, I don't like, I don't, none of that. I, I just kind of find it hard to, to, um, to say anything. Uh, and there are certain discussions. I just don't want to get in. I don't want to get in with them. So I can imagine that with them, it's also a level of comfort. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to, I want to focus on what we can both agree is not good. <laughs> we can both agree that rioting is not good. So that's what I'm going to focus on. As opposed to everything else, and you know, it's kind of if we go all the way back to Colin Kaepernick, you know, people wanted to focus on what he was doing versus Mm -hmm. no one ever wanted to focus on the why of what he was doing. And maybe had we all focused more on the why of what he was doing versus what, maybe, Amon Aubrey. And uh, Mr. Floyd would be alive. <laughs> and anyone else who has lost their life to senseless violence like this, maybe some of them could still be here if we had really focused on the why of what Colin Kaepernick was doing, as opposed to the what.
0: And it's um it's interesting. I was going to ask you guys, as we um, kind of get ready to close out, how you feel about um, that in terms of, you know, you look at the stark image you know they I don't know if you guys have seen him I'm sure you have of him uh kneeling and everybody was had a lot to say about that but not nearly as much to say about this man kneeling on somebody's neck and killing him Colin Kaepernick was kneeling on some ass turf Mm -hmm. (laughs) at a football game you know you guys are kneeling on somebody's neck and he's dead
1: yeah have you You all seen the post side by side
0: yes I've seen seen that
1: yeah, that's a really striking yeah. um, comparison right there. Yeah. Yep.
0: And and then just real quickly, I also wanted to ask, how do you feel? I feel it's just a way to deflect. But how do you feel when you talk about, you know, I, I've talked about openly about my fear if my son gets stopped by the police and and that sort of thing. When you talk about the uh, what police are doing to our uh, young men and women of color and you get a, but not all cops are bad. Like, <laughs> I, that comment irritates the daylight side of me because we're not talking about that. We're talking about this right here, the ones who killed this man in cold blood. That's what we're talking about. Not all white people are bad. Not, you know, because I could say, well, not all black people riot. Like what? <laughs> I don't understand the need for that. So how do you guys feel when you hear stuff like that? Tony, I'll let you start.
1: Incensed, angry, upset. Um, if I could think of any other words right now that could be, say mad (laughs) i would um it's 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 a moot point not not all not all black people are bad not all white people are bad not all cops are bad okay we all know that let's focus on and deal with the ones that are
2: maureen how about you yeah it's uh, tony i totally agree like you know no, they're not all bad, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be focusing on this one or these four. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I mean, th- that does not help the situation. You saying that does not bring um, George Floyd back. I think I called him Mr. Scott earlier. George Floyd, it does not bring him back. So why would you offer, well, not all kinds of bad. That's not what we're talking about. We know that and we know all white people aren't bad, but let's talk about and deal with the ones that we know inherently are. The one who did this and the three who just sat by and just watched like it was a spectator sport.
1: Let's talk about them. Yeah, it's it's just amazing to me how when the shoe is on the other foot, you, you can't think that way. So I am as a black woman supposed to accept that all cops aren't bad. So th- therefore, I should not hold that against them. However, on a daily basis, I am considered to be negative before anything else because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. It's okay for you to assume that all Black people are bad and I have to prove how good I am, but I can't go into a situation based on what has happened thinking, mm, all cops are bad and you're gonna have to prove to me you're good. <laughs> I, it, it's it, it's a double standard. I I I just, I, I it's... It's maddening.
0: It really is. And I do think that it doesn't help the overall discussion that we need to have. You know, it's not like these cops were the first in the United States or the first in however many years to kill a black person in cold blood. I mean, for no good you know what I mean, for no good reason. And so I think that it hinders the larger conversation we need to have, which is whether you want to admit it or or not, there are cops who wear their uniform by day and their hoodies, their white hoods by night or whatever they're wearing now in the KKK. I mean, there are cops who have serious bias against people of color. And the only way we're going to be able to fix it, in my humble opinion, is if we acknowledge that and deal with it as opposed to saying, well, not all cops are bad. You know, because if that's the case, then why can't you, as you said, say that about not all black people are rioting either in the streets either. Not all black people do that. And so I just think that, as you said, there is that double standard that we just don't be a, that we don't seem to be able to to get away from. Um, and so I definitely can agree with what you guys have been saying today. Uh, and as we get ready to wrap, I just want to give each of you an opportunity to say, what do you hope, and, and it's a hope because I don't know how many more times this will have to happen before we can see any change, but what do you hope to see change in our society in um, Going forward, what are you hoping? What are your hopes and dreams for your children as they are you know coming into adulthood in the United States of America? uh Tony, I'll let you start
1: oh my <laughs> um you know obviously, I hope that my son and my daughter can continue on the life path that God has intended for them and um, and my hope is that they can they are sheltered and can be kept away from any of this coming to them um, my, my hope is that we all get a, a better sense of compassion and understanding um, that we not be so afraid of each other and embrace the differences that everybody makes and I know that sounds a bit cliche-ish but That's what's going to have to happen. We need to, as opposed to being afraid of the differences that someone brings, appreciate that and and elevate that, learn from that, bring what part of that into your own life that can maybe enhance it and share what you have with others. Um, You know, I I just as I, I just I just pray that we can, you know, get get through all of this. And
0: Maureen, how about you?
2: yeah Tony, that was um perfectly said. um you know i don't I don't know if I could and and I don't think I should try to add anything to that because I think um, I know not I think I know that those are you know my hopes and dreams for them as well. Um, what I will say about for the rest of society and what are my hopes and dreams for society and allowing us to be able to move forward successfully, whatever that looks like is that I hope people continue to um, engage in trying to understand the bigger question of why this is happening and how can they um, possibly help and insert themselves in the process of course correcting this. And one of the reasons I, I that is my hope is because I was very encouraged, even just for a second, Um, earlier this week when my son sent me uh, a snapshot he took on his phone of a a woman who sent him a text and so she's the mother of a really good friend of his at school she basically asked him what can she do to help you know she said you know I need your input and so she's really asking him from your perspective what things can white people do to try to shift this attitude of blatant racism I'm just interested to know your thoughts. I cannot believe all of these things that are happening. I do understand that the biggest problem is white, racist, bigoted Americans. However, there must be something meaningful that all those with white privilege can try to do or participate in to try to help appreciate your feedback. So my first thought when I saw that was, because I was so angry, not at that, just angry in general, was, please, you need to go and have a conversation with you and other people who look like you and try and fix this. And y'all started this. And then I had to step back and think that's probably not the right attitude. Um, It's definitely not. She's asking the question. And while I don't necessarily think that asking a 20 year old, the question is certainly um, going to provide her with any, you know, definitive responses. You know, he reached out to me so that I could craft something to send back to her. I do think that just the fact that she asked the question is indicative of a world that we are all hoping that we move toward. And so that gave me a little bit of hope, even, for, even if it was just for a minute, even amidst all of you know everything that happened um, this week, it gave me a little bit of hope. And so adding on to what Tony said, as it relates to our children and generations afterwards, These are the kinds of people that woman and other people are the kinds of people, and those are the kinds of perspectives and voices that we need to have engaging in greater dialogue around how do we course correct this. And that is really my hope for that. That hopefully happens, you know, across all of this.
0: Well, thank you so much, ladies. This has been a powerful conversation, and one that I hope. Uh, we can continue having in our homes and with friends of all races so that we can get to really the root of what this is about, because it's really, truly a scary, um, sad and depressing time in our country for people of color. Um, as always, if you have anything that you want to hear us talk about, if you have questions or comments, please hit me up at KDT at com. Again, that is KDT at com. That's all the time we have for today. Um, If I can encourage all of you to do anything, it's just to really examine your own lives, your own biases, and just see what you and all of us can do to really come together um, and make this better for all of our people here um, of color, um, because we're really going through it, y'all. So we need your prayers and we need us all to really work together to figure out a way to, to deal with this. Again, that's all the time we have. And I look forward to the next time we're able to spend together. Until then, be blessed.